This is episode number 312, Overcoming Limiting Beliefs with world record explorer Colin O'Brady. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. The lesson here is not disagree with every person who's trying to give you well-intentioned advice, but, but it's also important distinction to say like, they are also projecting some of their own limiting beliefs on you. My grandmother was giving me her best advice through the wisdom of what she thought a perfect or best or good life looked like for me. And it required me to do some soul searching and say, Grandma Sue, I love you. And I know you're trying to give me your best advice here. But actually, I have this deeper knowing that's telling me, chase my dreams, push my body, sleep on friends' couches and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches rather than have a proper job, but cultivate this curiosity for human potential. And that's what I did. And so criticism is an interesting thing, but you don't want to get stuck living somebody else's life, what they think your best life is. You want to live your own best life and only you know what the answer to that is. I am so excited about today's guest and I really, really enjoy getting to chat with him. But first, I wanted to tell you about our podcast sponsor who is supporting the show, Athletic Greens. And I started taking Athletic Greens because I was really interested in the fact that the AG1 supplement had adaptogens, probiotics, and covering all of your nutritional bases. A lot of times we'll have all of these different bottles of supplements sitting on the counter and Athletic Greens has just one slim packet that you just dump in your water in the morning, drink, and you're done. Their supplement AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And they're highly absorbable. They have done multiple iterations of this to make sure that you're getting the best quality supplement that is out there. And speaking of best quality, their supplements are based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. And that third-party testing and that NSF certification tells you that there isn't nasty stuff in there and that you can trust what you're taking. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. And by the way, immune-supporting vitamin D is really important because most of us don't get the sunshine that we need, and taking it via supplement will help you boost your immune system. And they'll also give you five free travel packs with your first purchase. And these travel packs are something that I've been taking with me. I've been traveling for the last month in Colorado for my racing. And all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Sonia to check it out. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Sonia to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So let's talk about today's guest, Colin. I have been inspired by Colin over the years by hearing about him on other podcasts. And if you haven't heard of him, he is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer, as well as a speaker, entrepreneur, and expert on mindset. He completed the world's first solo, unsupported, and human-powered crossing of Antarctica. Yes, that is extreme, and I highly encourage you to learn more about that. He set speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slam and the Seven Summits and achieved the first human-powered ocean row across Drake Passage. And if that's not impressive enough, he graduated from Yale University in economics and worked on Wall Street. He's the author of The Impossible First and recently released The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. You can also hear Colin speak on mindset and high performance on his TEDx talk. So first of all, make sure that you pick up the book. And he is also inviting everybody to do a 12-hour walk in September. So if that is something that you're keen to do, make sure you check it out. Today's key takeaways involve accepting the hard moments to have more peak experiences. And that's something that a lot of us tend to try to avoid. We don't want to feel the hard moments, but the hard moments are what make the peak experiences mean so much more. We talk about where his optimism comes from. We talked about limiting beliefs and how to manage criticism. And we also uh, talked about which limiting belief he struggles with most. And I think he was a little bit surprised with that question. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you are enjoying the show and to leave us a review. 
my team and I go through reviews whenever you leave them for us. And it helps us feel even better about the hard work that we are doing to make sure that this show comes out every single week and that we have high quality production for you. If you're interested in training your mind, check out my Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy. The difference between good and great performers is that they train their mind. And I have taken all of the things that I've learned over the world's hardest races, all of the sports psychology and positive psychology, and put them into one online course for you. And you can get that at moxieandgrit.com, or you can go to sonyalooney.com and click on the Mindset Academy. All right, let's get into today's guest, Colin O'Brady. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I guess my first question will just spool off of what we were just talking about before we hit record. How do you stay warm in Antarctica? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So uh, 2018, I was walked solo across Antarctica. Staying warm was one of the key components there. So the average temperature, I was out there alone uh, across nearly a thousand miles, pulling a 375 pound sled. And the average temperature was like minus 30, minus 40 ambient but the wind it's the windiest continent in the world as well. So most of the time I had like a 50 mile per hour headwind. So you cyclists out there can appreciate uh, what beating a headwind could give you. And so that would take the temperature down to, you know, wind chill minus 70, minus 80 was pretty common out there. So staying warm obviously was crucial. There's this sort of funny mantra, I suppose, in the polar community. They say, if you sweat, you die. And so it's really about kind of moderating your body temperature. So the second you get out of your tent, like you're freezing cold, obviously it's minus 30, minus 40, but it's all about, you know, keeping your body moving. So when you pull a heavy sled like that, even though you're not moving very quickly, it gets your heart rate up, but you don't want it to get too up. So every day out there, I'd be like, you know, puffy coat on, puffy coat off, glove, bigger gloves, smaller gloves, like kind of trying to stay at that sort of like perfect equilibrium, but no, no skin ever exposed. I mean, literally two minutes of exposed skin and you're, you're getting frostbite. So, you know, full face mask, full gloves, full, full everything. So yeah, staying, staying warm across Antarctica solo was a, was a challenge in it, but it's a weird thing. You can't start sweating and that you sweat, you die mantra comes. It's because if you sweat the second, you stop for a second, literally your clothes are going to freeze to your body. Uh, and that's a bad deal as well. Um, there was, there was one point on the first day that I actually, I was actually having such a hard time pulling my sled. I almost gave up on the first day. Sadly, uh, I didn't give up, but I was in a pretty bad <laughs> space. I was crying. I was actually crying. I was so like defeated at just two hours into, you know, what? two month long expedition that I started crying. And I quickly realized that when you cry in Antarctica, it's even more pathetic because the tears, they actually freeze to your face. So um, there's no, I don't think there's a more pathetic feeling than that. Yeah. There's so much in what you just said, and we could record an entire podcast on just one of your many world records and adventures. People are probably like, wait a second. He went a thousand miles across Antarctica, pulling a 375 pound sled. And he's talking about dying like this. Who is this guy? And before we get into who is this guy, I have a quick question. Are you afraid of dying? Um, you know, I've been asked that question quite a few times. I, unfortunately, I actually write about it a little bit in my new book, The 12-Hour Walk, a chapter where I lost five friends in a bad accident uh, on K2 in winter, uh, last winter. So I've, I have faced death and, and lost friends uh, in very close proximity to me uh, recently. But even on the other side of that, it's interesting, and hopefully this doesn't come across as callous because I don't, don't, I don't mean it that way, but... I am afraid of dying. I don't want to die at all. I don't consider myself an adrenaline junkie or some like reckless risk taker. But my biggest fear, honestly, was I've thought about that question is I'm afraid of not living. You know, I'm afraid of not living. I think that's what I'm more afraid of than not dying. I've come to sort of think about life in some regard on a scale of one to 10, you know, one being our lowest, lowest moments. You know, I've had some massive setbacks in my life and was burning the fire and I've told I'll never walk again. I've certainly crossed Antarctica solo, had some dark moments, as I just mentioned, losing friends in a bad mountaineering accident. You know, those are ones, right? And the tens are those peak arcs. It's accomplishing a big goal that, you know, the day your first child is born or falling in love. I mean, these are these 10 moments in life. And what I've come to realize is that all the tens that I've experienced in life haven't been in spite of my ones, but actually because of the ones. Meaning when I finished Antarctica, I became the first person to complete this crossing, a really proud moment for me. It wasn't because I avoided every single hardship. It was because I was willing to take on the risk, the hardship, the pain, the suffering, the solitude, all of that. But that allowed me to open up to the stability of the 10. And I think too often in life, and this gets back to the sort of afraid of, of not living question, 
I think too often we get stuck in this realm, what I call the zone of comfortable complacency between four and six, just in this like, eh, like fine. You know, you go to a job that you don't love, you spend most of your time doing it. It's like, eh, it pays the bills. It's fine. Like, don't love it. I don't hate it. Or you've been in a long standing relationship with somebody and it's not like it's abusive or terrible or toxic, but it's just sort of like you're coexisting, cohabitating, co-parenting. It's just kind of like, eh. Like a lot of people are living almost all, if not all of their life in this four to six range, this zone of comfortable complacency. And, and I ask myself the question of why? And because I think there's a legitimate fear, like no one wants to experience the ones or they think they don't want to experience the ones, but by hedging against not experiencing the ones, you also kind of take off the table, the tens and you kind of get more range bound. And so I encourage people, there's certainly a lot about this in my book and the call to action and the 12 hour walk. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but really inspiring people. I know your audience are go-getters, people out there crushing, you know, big challenges, getting outside, moving their bodies. So I imagine there's a lot of like-minded people listening to this that understand, you know, the, the, the desire, the need to get out there. But I think, you know, sorry for the long-winded answer, but am I afraid to die? Yeah, I don't want to die but I'm more afraid of not living and I'm afraid of living a life only in that zone of comfortable complacency. So for me, it's will I'm worth it to take on some of those risks to feel and embrace some of those ones, knowing that that allows the sort of pendulum to swing back to the peak arc of the tent. Yeah. And I think that for everybody, their like risk tolerance or their willingness to try things at a certain level is different, but living that life in a living life in high definition, it's easier said than done. So how do people get comfortable whenever they reach those ones? Like, certainly we're not reaching for a one, like, I can't wait to just have my, you know, have the worst experiences in life, but how do I get myself to a situation where I can embrace those when they do happen so that I can experience those peak moments? Yeah. You know, simply put, I, I do write this, you know, mantra in this, in my book, it's just, it's embrace the ones, embrace the ones not try to avoid them, embrace them. And that's, again, as you said, that's easier said than done. But a mantra that has actually you know, been resonant for me for a long time, certainly not mine, has been you know, long used in you know, meditation and, and mindfulness, but this too shall pass, right? This reminder that no matter what you're feeling in any given moment, it's ephemeral, it's temporary. And when I have those low moments, I always remind myself, I go back and catalog in my mind, I go, man, when was the last time I felt this horrible, this awful? And I'm like, you know, you go there, right? But then I go, but then what happened after that? And usually, almost always, there's something that moves me past it in a positive way. There's some sort of positive outcome. You know, you you do these badass mountain bike, hardcore mountain bike races. There's those times, right? You're on the red line, you're exhausted, you're hungry, you're cold, you're wet, you're tired. Like that is like those, that's you're being tested. Then you get to that finish line or you get up to the next ridge or your body starts feeling good, and you're like, shit, yeah, this is why I do this. This is epic. Like, this is amazing. And so there's a point where you can resist it. And that's why I say the embrace. There's a point when you get in that low moment, like you say, that hunger, that fear, that cold, that wet, whatever it is, you know, causing that one where you want to want to resist it. You could like, you know, to use the extend the bike riding metaphor, you could like get off your bike and give up right in that moment. You'd be like, ah, this sucks. Like I'm done. But, but it's, I know, I know since knowing you are, you obviously don't do that, but like, it's easy to want to give up in the ones. But the embrace the ones mentality isn't like, oh, celebrate the ones. This is so fun. This is awesome. But it's a reminder. It's like, keep going, keep pushing, keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep striving because this one, this lesson, this, this intensity of this moment, there's something to be learned, something to be gleaned here that's going to open up this new door. And so when I do feel those things, it's a reminder. It's like, this sucks, but man, this must mean also I am, am getting an opportunity for that swing back to the tent. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of optimism when you are in the ones. It's like accepting instead of resisting what's happening, like, okay, this is happening, but then I know it's going to get better. How do you have that level of optimism? I know that some people are born with a higher level of optimism than others, but is that something that you train? I, I train in some regard, but there's definitely a, a key moment for my life that I think really opened up the doorway to this lesson or learning for me. I, I briefly mentioned it before, but you know, 15 years ago or so I was, uh, I was traveling after college and I had no money after college, but I was like, I want to see the world. So I painted some houses every summer and socked away a couple thousand bucks. And finally, you know, it's graduated from college to kind of pushed away the quote unquote, normal, real job that I should have probably taken and took a backpack and a surfboard and like bummed around the world, like, you know, alone, I like hitchhiked through New Zealand. I was like sleeping on friends, couches and hitchhiking, eating peanut butter, jelly sandwiches on the cheap, you know, full shoestring budget, amazing experience as a young person, just meet people, be out in the world, have an adventure. 
until I found myself on this small beach in rural Thailand on this, on this Island of rural Thailand. And maybe it's cause I was 22, maybe cause I didn't have a fully formed prefrontal cortex. I'm not sure, but so there's some guys jumping a flaming jump rope. And I was like, that looks like fun. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and in an instant, my life changed, you know, I tripped on the rope, the rope wrapped around my legs, lit my body completely on fire to my neck. I jumped into the ocean and like a fireball, like extinguished the flames, but not before about 25% of my body was severely burned, particularly my legs and my feet. And I didn't have, you know, proper medical. I mean, I was on a small island in rural Thailand. You know, I had a moped ride down a dirt path. There was no ambulance ride. I underwent eight surgeries in this kind of like makeshift a hospital where there was, you know, a cat running around my bed and across my chest in this sort of makeshift ICU. I mean, it was a bad, bad set of circumstances. And I'll never forget the doctor, you know, I've been a, so I was a collegiate swimmer, soccer player, you know, really thought of myself as an athlete growing up, big part of my identity. And the doctor walks in day four or day five. I'm in extreme pain, obviously. But he looks at me and he goes, you know, I hate to tell you this, Colin, but you'll probably never walk again normally. And I'll never forget just the emotional downward spiral from that moment. There's one thing to be like in this physical pain, but you know, if you break a bone, you're like, this sucks, but like, you know, my arm's going to heal or whatever that is. But this was him being like, you're never going to be the same ever again. And fortunately, and when I say where I sort of learned this lesson in some regard was from my mother, she showed up about five days into this ordeal kind of found me on the other side of the world. And I can only imagine what it's like to be a parent, seeing your kid in this helpless, scared, afraid state. She told me now that she was crying with the doctors in the hallway and pleading for any semblance of good news, but she never really showed me that fear. Instead, she came into my hospital room every single day with this huge smile on her face. And it's just a huge air of positivity, kind of daring me to dream about the future saying, what do you want to do when you get out of here? You know, let's set a goal. And I was like, mom, a goal life as I know it's over. She goes, come on, play along with me close your eyes, visualize something, visualize any positive outcome, like in the future, like at all. And like I said, I was like nagging her. I was like, no, this is terrible. What are you talking about? But she like finally gets me to play along. I close my eyes and she sees me smile. And she's like, what'd you see? And I said, this might sound ridiculous. Um, but I just saw myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon and I'd never raced a triathlon before. Like I said, I've been a collegiate swimmer, but never, you know, swim or bike competitively. And, uh, she looks at me and she could have easily been like, yeah, I said, set a goal, but look at the legs. Like you can't walk, you know, whatever. She's like, great. Actually, let's start training for this right now. And she calls in the doctor right then. She goes, Hey doc, my son's training for a triathlon, bring him in some weights. So she, the doctor literally is like, thinks I'm ridiculous, but brings in these 10 pound weights. I have these pictures of me in the Thai hospital, lifting 10 pound dumbbells while my waist is bandaged from the waist down. And end of the long story short is for the next 18 months, I focused on that goal. You know, I was, I was in a wheelchair when I got back to Portland, Oregon, where I was from carried on and off the plane. My mom literally step-by-step step taught me how to walk by putting a wooden chair, one step in front of my wheelchair saying, get to that chair. You know, she moved it a few steps more, get to that chair. But 18 months later, I moved to Chicago, took a job and signed up for the Chicago triathlon. And I raced that race. I finished that race, my first triathlon. And to my complete and utter surprise, I didn't actually just win or didn't actually just complete the race, but actually won the entire Chicago triathlon placing purse out of 5,000 people, which was a surprise to say the least. But, you know, your question was about when am I generally an optimistic person? I think in some regard I am, but that lesson, like as a young person was such an important lesson for me. And that's why I talk about those ones in the tens. It was like, I was an obvious one, Right. And there was a sliding door moment of, do I just accept what the doctor is saying? Do I go into this negative downward spiral in my mind? Do I let all these limiting beliefs, all this negativity, all this distress kind of take over my life? But my mom opened up this pathway to what I call now, and I talk about it in the book, I define it as what I call a possible mindset, an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. My mom encouraged me in this terrible moment. She didn't say, oh, this is not a bad thing. She was like, this is horrible. But life is not over. What do you want to do next? What, do you, what does a year from now look like? What does five years from now look like? What does a day from now look like? She opened my mind up to these limitless possibilities, this possible mindset. And so I think, again, that has been such a defining moment in my life. And it's strange to say, like, I wouldn't wish the pain of that burn accident on my worst enemy. I mean, it was horrible. But at the same time, it opened up the doorway to me to learn one of life's most important lessons, which is to get through that, the perseverance, the grit, the positivity, that mindset shift that can lead to so many other things. And so here I am, you know, humbly with 10 world records, you know, all those world records were set after burning my legs, not before them, you know, in, in, in a strange way that made me stronger and more resilient. Yeah, it definitely sounds like post-traumatic growth. Totally. And your mom sounds really amazing. She sounds like 
she really understood the power of visualizing something that's better than where you're at. And then knowing that one small daily action, the smallest thing can help you change your trajectory and your momentum. No doubt about it. I mean, my, my mother's incredible. I also am blessed with an amazing wife. We've been together for 15 years and I have five older sisters. So there's been a very long, strong lineage of strong female influences in my life that I'm deeply indebted to. I certainly wouldn't be who I am or what I've done without all of those people. But I love what you say about those, those 1% differences. I actually, I've summited Everest twice. My first time I climbed on 2016, when I summited, it was like my light childhood dream. And I summited in 2016. And I, I took a tiny little rock, a little pebble with me um, from the summit that I have for years mm-hmm. carried around in my pocket. And the reason I've carried it is this reminder for myself that even Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, this huge dream, this whole goal of mine is just really just a bunch of tiny little pebbles, small rocks stacked on top of each other. It's just for me, a daily reminder of what exactly what you said, big goals, big aspirations, big dreams you know, racing a triathlon after being told you never walk again, like the process between that finish line and that wheelchair is actually just a bunch of these tiny little steps, but it's a daily commitment. Can I go one step further today? Can I try one more thing? And like those things have such a larger compounding effect than making some sweeping change overnight. I mean, we've, we've all been, we've all been around the friend or maybe done it ourselves. We're like, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. So all of a sudden I'm just going to stop eating every single thing that I've yeah. ever eaten before and only eat vegetables. And it's like, most people can only sustain that for like a couple of days, right. Versus making an incremental sustainable shift 1% every single day. Uh, and James Clear does an incredible job of talking about this in Atomic Habit. It's one of my favorite books, but uh, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with the importance of that. Yeah. I like the idea of consistency over heroic efforts because that's, what's going to pay off over time. And it is really humble of you to say, yeah, like I climbed Mount Everest twice, but I just carried this little rock around, um, that or this pebble that I collected from there just to remind myself that it is one small thing, no matter how big the feat is. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And you know, one of my, one of my favorite questions and what I, what I pose to people in the 12 hour walk in, in the opening chapter you know, I I talk about not wanting to live a life of regrets and kind of going to live life fully and inspiring people to unlock their best life. And I pose that question, you know, at the top of the book intentionally, which is, well, what's your Everest? You know, I'd say like, I'll tell you stories about my own life because I would, I wanted to climb Everest, but I don't think that everyone wants to stand on top of that mountain. It's just, it's arbitrary of a goal as any other goal, but what is your Everest? What's your hope? What, what are your dreams? You know, cause once you can focus on that, you know, and it can be anything, right. It can be making a million dollars. It can be saving a million lives. It can be about family, entrepreneurship, business, sport, you know, and it can be any and all of those things. Right. But I think sometimes we actually fail to ask ourselves that question. It seems so obvious, but like, what am I driving towards? Like, what, what lights me up? Not like, you know, what external success do I want to have, but what fills my cup in those quiet moments? But then often what happens is, and this is the difference between this limiting belief mindset and the possible mindset is sometimes an ever-sized goal or aspiration in our own life doesn't have to be about achievement, right? But it can be about anything just feels so daunting, right? It's like, oh, this massive thing. And like, but I mean, I could tell you a million reasons why I'm never going to get there. Like I'm in a wheelchair. What are we talking about? Racing a triathlon race? I can't even walk to the bathroom, right? But it is exactly what you said. It's about that consistency over time, those incremental steps. Um, And there's certainly big moments too, where you can have significant exponential growth in moments, like a race day where you learn a ton all at once. So it's not to say that there aren't those big moments, but usually there's some underlying consistency in that. Yeah. I love how in the book you have it broken down into all of these different limiting beliefs that many of us have for ourselves that we have to overcome. And before I get into some of those, the doctor in the hospital in Thailand had his own limiting belief about what you were capable of. And there's so many times in our lives where people tell us that we can't do something. Even a doctor who is, you know, that's their job is to like look at somebody medically and tell them whether they can or can't. And there's so many stories of doctors telling people that they can't do something. And then the person goes and does extraordinary things. So like the listener or the person listening is like, well, how do I look at other people's limiting beliefs on myself and not accept those? Yeah, it, I I love that you brought that up. Um, I don't write about that specifically in relation to the doctor, but it's the exact same point that I make in the book. So the book, the twelve hour walk, and I'm excited to talk about what the the core call to action because it's more of a book than it's more of a global movement than a book. It's an invitation for everyone to take this twelve hour walk and something that's accessible to everyone. So I'm super excited to share that. But the 
the breakdown of the book is there's 10 chapters based 10 main chapters, you know, edge of your seats, rich storytelling. So I got a really kind review from Booklist this week, actually one of the first reviews of the book isn't quite out yet. So early reviews are coming in and it says from the, from the adventure athlete to the armchair traveler, to the person wanting personal growth, there's something in this book for everyone. So it's not a dense, you know, textbook. It's, you know, you're going to be on the, you know, K2 and winter with me. You're going to be in Antarctica alone with me. You're going to be rowing a boat across Drake passage with me, but you're also through these different passages of my life where I'm sharing stories. Um, but really in a way that I'm not the hero of the story implicitly, you are the hero of the story. You, the reader, you, the listener are the hero of this story because it's empowering you to make those shifts. And one chapter that right each, each chapter is about limiting beliefs. And it's the 10 most common limiting beliefs that I see we all face, you know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? I'm not strong enough, right? Like we've, I don't care who you are. Like we've all, you know, had that go through our mind at some point in time, probably many, many, many times. But one of the chapters is on criticism. You know, what if people criticize me? Because that's such a common, you know, fear. And you know, that that's that's actually goes all the way back to prehistoric times. You know, we're, we're living in tribes. You know, if the tribe criticizes you or sort of outcasts you, you're not going to survive. And so it's like hard coded into our DNA to be like liked and accepted and, you know, do what other people kind of want us to do. And I write about this moment after winning the Chicago triathlon. I won't give too much of the book away because I want you to check it out. But let's share a little story from there, which is, I win the Chicago triathlon and I get offered this sponsorship as, as a young person, I got a normal, good job, but I, this guy finds out about this story and he's like, this is incredible. Like you won this, your first race ever. Would you want to pursue this more, you know, more full time? And I'd always dreamed of making the Olympics. And I was like, well, that would be my dream, but like, I need a job. Like I, you know, actually, you know, I just took this job in finance, trying to use my education, put that to good use. And he's like, well, it's not going to be like the NBA or the NFL, but like I could give you enough money to like, you know, basically give you some plane tickets to races and, you know, help you be able to train full time and whatever. And I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my intuition immediately was like, heck yeah. Um, even though it was like a huge, you know, step down from the sort of more secure financial career future that I thought that I had laid out in front of me. And so I called my grandmother up who had been at the race with me that day. I was living in Chicago. My mom's from Chicago. So my grandmother's still there. She's passed away at this point, but she's a hugely important part of my life. And I called her up and I said, Grandma Sue, I just got this. I was so lit up. I was like, I got this sponsorship opportunity. Like I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. And like, I'm going to, it's going to, they're going to help me move to Australia and I can train for the next six months for this big race and like whatever. And my grandma's amazing, loving woman, but also very pragmatic. She was like, what are you talking about? Like, that is a terrible idea. Like super cool. You won this race and you're walking again and running and able-bodied because you were so injured not too long ago. But like, now it's time for you to like grow up, like grow up. I'm 23, 24 years old at the point. Like take, what do you mean? Like last time you didn't get a job right out of college, you wouldn't burn yourself in a fire. Now you're going to go like race your bike on the other side of the world. Like this is a terrible idea. And I tell that story now. And I share that story in the book long story short, I, I went back and forth in my mind for a little while, but I ultimately did quit my job and pursue this professional athletic career. And it's certainly paved the way for where I am, you know, 15 years later now, but criticism comes in all sorts of forms, right? There's like the random person criticizing you on Instagram who you've never met before. Like that's the easiest person to dissuade, even though honestly, for, for any and all of us, sometimes that, that just feels terrible also, but you're like, that's a random person criticizing me. But now we're talking about when you talk about the doctor, the doctor, oh, my grandmother, like these are people who like care, like who are actually trying to give you good advice through the own lens of their life. And so the, the lesson here is not disagree with every person who's trying to give you well-intentioned advice, but, but it's also important distinction to say like, they are also projecting some of their own limiting beliefs on you. My grandmother was giving me her best advice through the wisdom of what she thought a perfect or best or good life looked like for me. And it required me to do some soul searching and say, Grandma Sue, I love you. And I know you're trying to give me your best advice here, but actually I have this deeper knowing that's telling me chase my dreams push my body, sleep on friends, couches and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches rather than have a proper job. But like, cultivate this curiosity for human potential. And that's what I did. And so criticism is an interesting thing, but you don't want to get stuck living somebody else's life, what they think your best life is. You want to live your own best life and only you know what the answer to that is. Yeah. I love that. I can relate with that so much because I got my master's degree in electrical engineering and I wanted to be a pro mountain biker. 
And everyone in my family was telling me that like, well, you have this great job. Like you have all these opportunities in front of you. What do you mean? You're going to walk away from that and go try to be a professional mountain biker. And I, I just, I couldn't listen to them. I had to do it. There was something inside of me where I knew that I would regret it for the rest of my life. If I didn't go see what was possible. And it took many years even to get even a little bit of approval from my parents for doing it. And I, and I learned quickly that I don't need their approval to live my best life, but they were trying to help me. Like what you said, they had their own lens of what they think a good life or a comfortable life. <laughs> you, we can talk a lot about that. What a comfortable, <laughs> what that looks like, but everybody is just trying to like, everyone sees the world through their own lens. So whenever somebody tells you that you can't do something, you can listen to that, but then you have to take it and take it for a grain of salt. Totally. Cause you know, and obviously it's not like my grandma steered me wrong throughout my whole life. She gave me all sorts of great advice that I took throughout my life. Same with my mother, same with my, you know, people, other important people in my life. So, but it's, it's figuring out how to be discerning. And I open up the 12 hour walk with this story about a very, very, very wealthy man who I encountered at a, at a speaking engagement in Manhattan, who was in his late mid seventies, late eighties. And I'd asked that what's your Everest question. And he pulled me aside very vulnerably. And he says, and this guy, I don't know, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but definitely hundreds of million. I mean, this guy was, you know, so much money. He said to me, you know, I've made more money in my life than you could ever imagine. He's like, but when you talked about following your heart, when you talked about asking that question, what's your Everest? It made me realize if I'm being honest, I never stopped and asked myself this question. And so I have all the external things, the external praise, the, the, the money in the bank account, the houses, the this, the that, but he was just, he, he shared with me kind of like, but my life is full of regrets actually. And I, he said, I think I've lived what other people's expectations are of me rather than what it was. And it was a, it was a big moment in my life. I opened the book uh, with that story for a reason, which is it stuck with me that a good life or your best life, if you're listening to this, like it can be anything, but it's yours. And that's why the 12 hour walk. And I want to talk about it. It's a call to action for yourself to go into your own body, your own mind and spend a day in silence and solitude, moving your body because nobody else can answer this question because of you, nobody else can live your truth. And that's to that not to say don't exist in a society. Also, there's a whole chapter in the book around community and friendship and love and camaraderie and the beauty of all that. But to be the best friend, to be the best spouse, to be the best participant in society and culture in the way that you want to be means that you're showing up as your fullest self in your own best life. And only you know what that is. And that requires you to take some time to uh, take a journey inward. Yeah. So why a 12 hour walk? Yeah. So I'll frame it though. I'll tell the origin story, but the call to action is simple. You know, this book like I said, brings you through adventure stories, brings you through some prescriptive advice, brings you through me dealing with my own limiting beliefs and getting over it and kind of how we can all break free of these limiting beliefs and conjure again, what I call this possible mindset. But I love, I love sharing advice. I love sharing wisdom, but I even invite people in the book to say, just like I said before, like, I'm trying to give you my best advice, but you get to choose if you want to take it or not, you know, take it or leave it. I think there's some, some good gems in there, obviously poured my heart and soul into writing the book. But at its core, what I was more excited about is saying, but I think the best lessons are learned experientially by actually doing, by actually somatic experience and feeling them. And so at its core, this entire, the, the call to action we summed up in a sentence or two, which is the call to action is this, take a day, put it on your calendar, walk out your front door in the morning, put your phone on airplane mode, no reading, no music, no podcast, no social media, and walk for 12 hours. Now, I know there's a lot of badass athletes listening to this. So this, you, you might be able to walk for 12 hours nonstop and that's awesome. But the 12 hour walk is meant to meet any single person wherever they're at. I don't care if you walk for one mile, if you walk for 50 miles, there's no, there's no, I know there's a lot of racers and competitive, I'm a competitive person as well, clearly, but this is not a race. Like it doesn't matter if, if you go further or faster than the next person. This is you taking a day to be alone, in your thoughts, moving your body outside. And it's simple, but there's magic in the simplicity. So when I was walking across Antarctica, 12 hours became my actual normal day. I was going to run out of food and fuel and 12 hours was about the max that I thought that I could pull my sled every single day. And so that became my just regular day. didn't take a single day off, 54 days in a row, 12 hours. And I deleted almost all my music and podcasts and things because I thought if I tried to distract myself, it'd be more helpful in the beginning. But I actually had this curiosity about diving into this kind of flow states, this depth of, of mind, body, soul. 
And don't get me wrong. I had a lot of really rough moments. All my angels and demons were there. Plenty of demons, negative self-talk, tough days and moments. But I ultimately found, as I'm sure you have in your mountain bike race and other things you've done, these deep moments of flow and bliss and peace and fulfillment and depth and clarity. And my previous book that I wrote a couple of years ago called The Impossible First, I end that book with a chapter called Infinite Love. Because despite this external accolades becoming the first, you know, my name being on the front page of the New York Times, blah, 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 all this, what I was actually left with was, wasn't this external, like, I did it. I was left with this deep inner peace, this feeling of resonant love of my family, my wife, my friendships, my community, the nonprofit where I'm trying to inspire kids to reach their own Everest. Like, that's what I was like. That was the feeling, that, that feeling of just clarity, fulfillment, purpose. So I thought that I could just kind of take that feeling with me forever. And, and for a long time, I did. And then I think we probably all remember the spring of 2020, COVID lockdown. And, you know, I had a bunch of things going on, just like we all did, you know, busy lives, excited about the future. And then boom, just everything canceled. And before you know it, like disrupted, like I'm sitting locked in my house on the Oregon <laughs> coast with my wife and my dog, like haven't seen a single person, however long, just like, what the heck? And I'll be honest, I, 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 I found myself in a pretty depressed, anxious, fearful headspace, you know, just feeling terrible. And there was a couple of days that would go by and like, I'd be like in my pajamas at like 9 PM. My wife's like, you haven't even like got up, you know, barely got out of bed today. And just kind of like, what's the point? You know, I think a lot of people felt that way during that time, um, you know, just doom scrolling the news and like it's bad and people are dying. And it's just like, we all remember that. And in that, in that moment, I started to think back, when was the last time I actually felt this inner peace, this inner calm? kind of the strength of mind, body, spirit. And I thought, you know, it's ironic, but I felt that way pulling my sled in Antarctica as hungry and as starved as I was, my ribs were sticking out my bone. I mean, I was a little bit frosty and I was beat up at the end, but I found this inner peace. And I said, well, what was I doing then? Well, I was like walking around in silence basically. And so I was like, I was grasping at straws. I'll be honest. I was grasping at straws. And I was like, well, you know what I'm going to do? Jenna's the name of my wife. I said, Jenna, tomorrow I'm going to go for a walk. Don't worry about me. I'm going to go for all day, 12 hours. You know, I'll see you, see you back home at sunset. And she was like, yeah, all right. You know, she's seen me doing all sorts of crazy, weird things every time. She's like, yeah, cool. Have fun. And so I left and I walked out my front door about 20 minutes. I remember 20 minutes into the walk, my phone buzzed in my pocket. You know, someone's texted me and I instinctively, of course, reached down about to like text this person back, whatever. And I'm like, wait a second, what the hell am I doing? Like, I just, I just staring at my phone. I've been checking social media. Like I said, doom scrolling the news. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I need a break. Like this is about having a break. And so I just put my phone on airplane mode and I walked the rest of the day for 12 hours. I come back to my front door and before I even say anything to my wife, she can just see in my posture, in my face, just in my being, my essence. She was like, wow. Like, she's like, she goes, you're back, you're back. And she was right. Like there had been a shift in me in just taking that time to reflect in my own body and my mind, kind of like what's going on. The world's changing. Things are shifting kind of just in a moment to just, you know, I'm guilty as everyone of being on my phone constantly of, you know, being, you know, wrapped up in the, the noisiness of life. And I'm not, there's certainly not advocating to become a monk after this. I'm saying, take a day. And so I thought, you know, okay, I was the guy who walked across Antarctica, you know, done these other endurance, you know, crazy sports and records and things like that over time. Maybe this just makes sense to me. Like maybe this doesn't make sense to anybody else. But obviously during COVID, like I knew a lot of people that were going through some really hard times, right? And so I started just suggesting, I was like, hey, I did this thing. I did this thing. I went on this walk. Uh, maybe you should try it. It's 12 hours. You put your phone on airplane mode, you walk out your front door. That's the whole thing. And I suggested to all sorts of different types of people, athletes, non-athletes, young, old, you know, my 77 year old mother-in-law did the 12 hour walk. And the way she did it was by walking one lap around her block in her neighborhood and then sitting on her front porch in silence. And then when she felt strong enough, she walked another lap, you know, she may have covered a mile total in 12 hours, but that was her 12 hour walk. That is success. Like I said, it's not about going further faster. It's about taking the day alone in your thoughts. And what I found now by this large swath and why I'm excited to share this book with the world, my goal, my next Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take this 12 hour walk. Because what I've found is as much as we talked about incremental shifts, and I definitely believe in that, that consistency over time has paid so many dividends. This 12 hours, just this one day, this single day investment in yourself has paid some significant dividends in the short run and the long run. I have seen people really find, you know, people that are struggling, find inner peace, people that are just looking for an edge professionally or in sports or whatever, like find this way to tap into their own psyche that they've never found before. They've carried through with them for months and months and years into the future. 
And so really, like I said, the book is all about how to switch from this, this mindset of limiting beliefs to this mindset, this possible mindset, this empowered mindset of limitless possibilities. And the prescription is you can do it. You can read this book. You can read all about mindset in this, but this one day in one day that has basically no barriers to entry, it costs you nothing other than the time. It requires a pair of shoes and walking out your front door. It doesn't matter how far you go. You don't have to train for it. You can do this tomorrow. On the other side of this 12-hour walk, I have just seen so much positive impact. And so I'm really excited to, to share this book, share this idea, share this global movement with the world. I've built a sort of digital ecosystem around to help support, just keep the inspiration going. You know, 12hourwalk.com, you can sign up. It's completely free. Um, I've created an app, funny enough, for a, for a non-phone activity. I've actually created an app. But what the app does is it basically encourages you to put your phone in airplane mode, but then it tracks you and it allows you to be in Google Maps. It's my own map version, but basically, so you don't get lost. Cause like, well, what's the one thing people are like, well, I have to look at my phone for Google Maps. I'm like, nope, this map works with your phone in airplane mode. So you don't have that excuse anymore to look at your phone either. So you've got the maps, you don't get lost. Um, it can track your walks. So you know where you went, you know how far you went, you know, during, during your walk, kind of like a, you know, a phone, phone Strava or something like that, but there's no KOMs. But yeah, and so that's the walk and I'm inspired to share it with the world. I hope everyone listening, you know, is excited to take on this walk. I know how powerful it can be no matter what mental edge you're trying to find. Yeah, it sounds like being alone with your thoughts without distraction and moving your body outside is the prescription. And a lot of us never spend that time. Some people don't even spend like one minute alone with their thoughts. And we live in a distraction economy where even like sitting at a stoplight, people cannot stand to just sit at a stoplight for however long the light is without a distraction. So this 12 hours is a great opportunity to just spend time alone with yourself, get to know yourself, those angels, those demons, the limiting beliefs and applying the things that people have learned when they're reading your book and putting those things that they've learned into action by just going and doing the thing. Totally. And yeah, it's funny. It's like the 12 hours, obviously derivative of my, my time with that duration, but it's interesting because you said, yeah, the, the stoplight. I love that. I could, I could, if you look over sometimes the stoplight, a guy's got his phone out checking his social media or whatever. Cause it's like the 30 seconds in there is too long, you know, to not have some stimulus. So in one sense, 12 hours is, you know, ridiculously long. It's meant to push people outside of their comfort zone. You know, I've asked hundreds of people this question and researching this book, you know, what's the longest time you spend alone? Meaning sleep doesn't count, but every time you look at your phone, the clock resets, you know, every time you play music, podcast, TV's on, you're talking to someone, someone's in the room, the clock resets. And the, the average answer is like, I don't know, man, 30 minutes ish, you know, an hour, maybe, you know, it's rare, Right. And so the 12 hours in that sense is far, far, far outside of what most people have ever done. Um, even people who ride bikes a ton or whatever, you know, people usually out jamming on a podcast, whatever. And trust me, like I do that as well. It's not like I'm saying every single second of your day, be in silence. This is one day. But on the flip of that, 12 hours is not so long. And what I mean by that is it's a single day. It's not even a whole day. It's 12 hours. Meaning you look back on the past year, the past five years, like how many days can you even remember? Like you can't, you can't even like, there's so many days that go past us by that you can't even like remember. Or you're like, I don't know what I did that day or that day or a week ago or five days ago or like whatever that is. Whereas this, in that sense, like these 12 hours, they're going to go by. It's going to be tomorrow before you know it. And in this 12 hours, there's such an important ability and amazing, profound ability to imprint such an incredible, um, an incredible uh, kind of growth, you know, through this. And what I found is interesting too, is that this 12 hour walk, the, the journey of it, of course, it exists mostly in the 12 hours whenever you put it on your calendar and do it, but it actually starts right now. And what I mean by that is you're listening to this podcast right now. And this is probably the first time you heard about this, you know, seemingly ridiculous idea of walking by yourself for 12 hours and your brain instantly does something, right? Your brain either goes like, maybe there's some subset of people that go, Oh my God, best idea ever. I'm doing this tomorrow. Great. Awesome. Welcome to the tribe. Glad to have you. And then there's some percentage of people that are like, this is the stupidest freaking idea I've ever heard ever. I'm never going to do that. You know, that's some, so, but I think most people probably end up somewhere in between that spectrum of kind of like, okay, I'm kind of curious about this. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Whatever. And what happens is you start bargaining with yourself, right? And what I found is in this moment, that's why I say it starts right now. The bargaining with yourself in your mind starts happening. You start having maybe a few limiting beliefs like, 
well, I've got kids and childcare and a busy job, or whatever. Like I, I might not have enough time for this. You know, that, that's, this is not going to fit in my schedule or like, yeah, like this is good, but I had that injury last year in my ankles and then I'm maybe my body's not strong enough. Even though Colin said I could take as many breaks as I want, I'm not listening to him. It, I, it's not, this isn't right for me. The point being is some level if you're having any resistance to this idea, unless you're in that first camp, that's just like, heck yeah, I'm doing this hundred percent tomorrow. There's some level of resistance. Even when I have done, repeated this walk over and over again, because it's sort of like a you know meditative practice for me that I find so much benefit from, obviously, even I, the inventor of this idea, so to speak, like I have like, oh, should Saturday, does Saturday work or should I wait until next Monday because of this, whatever you have these limiting beliefs. But what you find is that the limiting beliefs that you're likely assigning to this prescription right now are actually more often than not the exact same limiting beliefs that may be holding you back in all elements of your life. Meaning just this conversation, just listening to this podcast, I'm holding up a mirror to you right now for you to actually analyze like, oh man, he caught me out. I was having these three resistances. And actually those are the same three things that come up over and over and over again in my mind that are holding me back from all sorts of things. But the beauty of it is if you had any resistance in this moment of hearing about this eliminating belief, you can be aware of that, but you can still choose to do the walk. And when you do the walk and the next time this limiting belief comes up, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough this. I don't, you know, whatever that limiting belief is for you. You go, I remember the last time that came up, I quieted that voice. I completed the walk with that, that, that limiting voice kind of mindset voice kind of gets quieter and quieter. And that possible mindset gets louder and louder. So that it's not, that you'll never, ever again have a limiting belief or a thought of negativity, but it's realizing it's empowering yourself to say, I can take these steps. I can actually take action, move past them. So what other ways in my life can I do that? And that's the ripple effect on the other side of the 12 hour walk that plays dividends for you unlocking your best life. Yeah. I love watching you light up while you're explaining that and how important resistance is. Like people think resistance means I should stop or that I shouldn't do it, but resistance is a way to gain insight into, well, how am I holding myself back? And I love how you said, make that possible mindset louder and louder. Like that was such a great, like tactile way to feel what you're saying or to hear what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, you know, this can be done, at, you know, any single day. The book comes out on August 2nd. Um, so the book will be live in the world. It's a sort of essential companion um, for, uh, you know, doing the walk. But the walk can be done any single day. Um, I, I, you know, people, there's all a bunch of FAQs and things. And people have lots of questions, you know, where I go to the bathroom, what shoes should I wear? You know, all sorts of, you know, questions mm-hmm. like that, that I try to do my best to answer. Um, but, uh, you know, the one question that comes up a lot, you know, they'll answer a couple, you know, FAQs that I know are common for people. One is, well, I live in a big city. So if if I need to be in solitude, I must need to, you know, wait to be on vacation on this trail system, whatever. No, your solitude is your commitment to solitude. If you live in Manhattan, you walk out your front door and there's a bunch of people walking past you on the street or there's, you know, noise from the car traffic. That's fine. That's fine. It's just, you are not intentionally putting the podcast in the music in talking to your friend, whatever. So you can literally do this anywhere right at your front door. And then you can do it anywhere. And it's not that I'm not discouraging you. If there's some beautiful trail that you want to go explore, like go explore that trail. Heck yeah. But I've actually found for people. And the reason I say front door over and over again is that I've actually found that that often is the most powerful place to do the walk. And why it's because Sometimes we have these experiences that are, you know, the classic vacation, like there's my life 50 weeks of the year, and then I go on vacation to forget about my life, right? This possible mindset where it's the most powerful is when it can imprint into your daily life, when it's actually be part of your daily life, your day-to-day life. And so I found when people walk out their front door, they have this imprinting, oh, this is my route that I commute. This is the, you know, my kid's soccer practices. This is where whatever. You got a little bit of a walk down memory lane, but the converse is true, which is the next time after the walk, you're on, you're on your uh, commute, say to work, and you go past this intersection. You go, oh, I was here on hour three. I walked past this intersection. I was thinking about this. It's a way for the reverberations of the energy of the experience of the 12 hour walk to actually imprint on your day-to-day life. So it's not separate, but it's actually integrated. So like I said, you can do it anywhere, any day, any time. If people are looking for a specific day to do it, like you just need that extra encouragement, that boost. I have two, two, two things to offer. One is on September 10th of this year, I'm organizing sort of mass participation in the walk. So lots of people, again, we're going to be walking alone 
together. So you're going to walk out your front door. I'm going to walk out my front door. People all around the world are going to walk out their front door, but you know, the accountability of this community kind of doing it on the same time. And I'll probably organize some, you know, live zoom chats or things like that. We can integrate and, and do some fun stuff afterwards. So that's one thing if you're looking for a date, but the other is accountability is powerful. As I said before, it's not about being a, a solo, you know, monk for the rest of your life. This is how do you, how do you show up as a better spouse, a better partner, a better colleague, a better coworker, a better, you know, a better everything in your life, just by, you know, taking this moment of self-care. So accountability, and, and if you have, you know, I know a bunch of athletes, you have training partners. I, my whole career training partners, amazing people have helped me push through these long rides and runs and all the things I've done throughout my career is I also invite people to say, you know, even if September 10th doesn't work, you know, call up your friend, call up your neighbor, call up your sister, call up your brother, call up your mom and say, Hey, let's put the 12 hour walk on our calendar on the same day. So you're committed to it together. And again, you're walking alone, but you're like, hey, you text each other at 6 a.m. You're like, are you at your front door? Yeah, I'm at my front door. Are you putting your airplane on your phone in airplane mode? Yeah, you about to start the app? Yeah, okay, cool. I'm gonna call you tonight at 6 p.m. when I get back to my front door. That accountability to know that somebody else out there doing it at the same time and you have that integration together. So there's all sorts of ways to build that accountability and that community around this. So we talked about resistance and limiting beliefs that pop up whenever we encounter the resistance. What's your repeating limiting belief that comes up? Oh God, that's a great question. Where, where the stories in this book start, all of them, all of the main sort of 10 chapters of this book that are all around a specific limiting belief is, is me experiencing the limiting <laughs> belief. You know, it'd be very easy, I would say, with my career to write the the all the heroic moments, all the you know, the highlight reel, like, and then I summited Everest, and then I'm, you know, like crossing Antarctica and everyone thought I was great. And then I like, you know, it's like it'd be easy because there's I have enough sort of I guess quote unquote accomplishments to do that. But the truth is I've had so many failures, like so many, so many, so many, so many setbacks and failures. I love to say uh, winners lose the most, meaning like yeah. Yeah, the only way you got on that podium or you got this was by getting your butt kicked over and over and over and over again. So I'm not trying to pump the question, but the short answer is I felt I have experienced every single one of these multiple, multiple, multiple times. Gosh, you know, I think, you know, this, I, I'm just going to, you know, try to answer candidly in the moment mm-hmm. here. When you put it, I love this idea. I poured, you know, a year and a half of my life into writing this book and sharing it. The world is about to come out. You know, obviously there's been some early folks like media people whenever have read the book, but most of the people haven't read the book yet. You know, it has, it's not out, you know, it's about to come out. And there always is this moment. And I've always had this feeling before sharing, you know, other business ventures that I've launched or, you know, announcing my expeditions because I usually train for them and plan for them a year before I tell anybody that I'm doing them. And then you like post it on social media for the first time and you're like, cool. Right. Like, right. (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't really feel like I need to thrive off external validation, but I think that, you know, if I'm being honest in this moment, this limiting belief is like, you know, you're like, wait a second, is I going to, did I sit in my room by myself for a year and a half and be like, walk for 12 hours alone. And people are like, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. So it's that, it's that, it's that fear of criticism, right. That fear of rejection. But you know, what's funny, what's interesting about the book and what's interesting about my, you know, you're asking me that question today, right? That's mm-hmm. not my overriding limiting belief throughout my whole life necessarily. Mm-hmm. I've mostly cut against the grain and been like, I'm going to do it my way, but in, without fear of criticism. But why I think the book is fun and powerful and reaches a lot of different people. It's like, there's, there's 10 great stories in the book. There's 10 limiting beliefs that break down. We might not all be experiencing all 10 at any given moment. But we've most likely experienced all of them at some point, but there might be three or four or five when you read the book where you're like, man, that's what, with whatever's going on in my life in this moment, right? My life is different in different chapters and different phases, whatever. And you're like, you know, maybe when you're younger, you're like, man, I don't have enough money. And there's a whole chapter about having that feeling of me being dead broke and having big dreams and ideas and how to get through that, you know, scarcity mindset and conjure abundance, but maybe you're later in your life, like the old man I shared before, who's like, has all the money in the world. Like that's not his limiting belief, but there's five other things that are. And so it really, it really, it hits me. We're all different in any given moment. And, and as humans, like we might, you know, it's like whack-a-mole, right? You might solve one limiting belief and then another one pops, yeah. pops right up in its place. Yeah. Michael Gervais, the sports psychologist, he, he said, he calls it FOPO fear of other people's opinions. <laughs> Mike's a good friend of mine. I actually just ran into him a few weeks ago at the F1 in Miami. I love that guy. He's amazing. Uh, his podcast, Finding Mastery, I've been on it a couple of times. What a, what a good guy, but I've never heard him say that. Fear of other people's opinions. Yeah, yeah FOPO. Is. Next time you see him, be like, hey, FOPO. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I him. Per- I don't know. He's been a guest, but I don't know him personally. Um, yeah, he's a so, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have another question for you because we have a couple minutes left. I've heard you on other podcasts talk about like openly saying, I cried in this hard moment. I have experienced that myself. Like I did this race in Nepal and I was the first woman to complete this race. And in the race, I was trying to document my experience and I started crying and I took a video of it and posted it online. Um, this is like in 2012 and that sharing that vulnerability was really scary for me and sharing like crying was scary for me. How do you get comfortable or how have you gotten comfortable talking openly about that? Yeah. And I don't say this at all to, to criticize other people that are motivating people in other ways and whatnot. You know, we've, we all know the the archetype of like the, the drill sergeant kind of like, you know, masculine, like David Goggins. go harder, you know, <laughs> just like go harder, you know, whatever that is. And like, you know, that, that fires a lot of people up. So it's like, I mean, it's it, not my place to, to knock anyone else's way of doing it or whatever, but I think it's twofold. One, I did mention uh, before that I was raised by a, a big collection of strong females. So maybe there's the feminine energy is, is just as strong in, in my psyche or maybe I don't know if it's a male female thing, but it's a little bit of you know social norms pushes some people in one direction or the other, um, unfortunately, in my opinion, because I think there's an important balance of both. But, you know, I mean, Shoot, I'll, I, I have no problem. I'll point to Brene Brown's amazing TED talk on vulnerability or, you know, other research on that, which is when I think, when I have thought to myself, when have I felt the most connected to others? Like just other people, people that in my, my, my close friends, my family, people, you know, people I meet on the street, whatever. It's like, I don't like being at a cocktail party where someone's just like, you know, telling me their resume and just like talking like surface level, oh, the weather, this, the weather, that, like whatever. Like, I'm just like not that interested in that. And I actually think like, even though a lot of us spend time putting on these masks, like, I don't think that many people are interested in that, even though a lot of us do that a lot of the time. And look, I'm guilty of that in in moments too. Sure. It's like, I want to know the real stuff that's going on. And that's twofold. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I've, I've shared that vulnerability of, of the crying and maybe, you know, the, the guy who walks solo across Antarctica, the ultimate badass, you could imagine him like just being this like hardcore dude who never cries. It's like, no, nah, man, like I was afraid. I was scared. I cried. I broke down. Like, that's the truth. And that's to me what this book, The 12 Hour Walk in its essence is, you know, contextually, it shares some of my uh, achievements, but it's actually mostly about pulling back the curtain and being like, yo, like this was hard. I was afraid. I had this doubt. I had this fear because that's real. Like that's the, that's the real talk. Like, you know, like you did this incredible thing in Nepal on your mountain bike, but like, it wasn't because it was just like so easy and so chill for you. And you like never had any doubts. It was like, no, you were like in it, you know, like you were in it. And I'm just more interested in full authentic connection. Now the flip side of that, which I think is, I don't think you're asking the question from this point of view, but it's interesting to think about is I also think sharing your excited emotion should all is a part of vulnerability. Because I think, again, when you think about those ones and the tens, it's like, I think society, like, you know, particularly, you know, men, it's like, you know, don't show weakness, don't show this, like whatever, don't like cry, you know, there's plenty of that like going on. Right. Um, But there's also the flip side of that, which is like, don't tell everyone how awesome you are. Like, in, like, you know, like you did this thing in Nepal, like you were crying before, like you should be able to cross the finish line and be like, I was the first woman to do this. I feel freaking amazing right now. Like that feels good too. And so to me, it's like, that's also vulnerable because that emotion, we know it's people love to cut down success. Oh, I used to like Sonia. She was so cool and humble, but now that she like won this thing and she told me that she won it, like, ugh, so annoying. <laughs> right? Like that is super common as well. And so what I, I mean, what I get off on, what I'm excited about when I meet people is people that can share both the depths of the struggle, as well as the successes, as well as the mundane, as well as ever, but that's the authenticity, the vulnerability of the full tapestry of that experience. To me, that's what we're all actually feeling like inside. And the whole book, The Limiting Beliefs, right? It's about this internal dialogue. It's like, that's an internal dialogue. That's us in our own minds. And so like when I meet somebody or I talk to somebody or I get close to somebody, it's like, I don't want to hear the fake, you know, you know, glossed over story. Like what's up? Like what's really going on? The good, the bad, the ugly and everything in between. Yeah. And that brings us back to ones and tens, which is what we started talking about at the very beginning of this podcast. And I think it's a great place to wrap the podcast up and tell people where they can get your book and where they can find more. Cause there's so much more about you. There's so many things I wanted to ask you with all of the amazing things that you've shared and done in your life. 
And if somebody is just coming across Colin O'Brady for the first time, like they got to find more. So where can they find all this? Yeah. So 12 hour walk, join the movement, 12 hourwalk.com. You can sign up there. It's completely free. Download the app, et cetera. You can buy the book 12 hour walk where, you know, everywhere books are sold, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore, et cetera. And please sign up, please take the walk. I, I want to hear from you. You know, signing up literally just means, you know, giving me your email address so I can send you a few more bits of inspiration to make sure you hold you accountable to getting out the door. But this is a, a you know, a, a free movement accessible to everyone. And I think that you'll have, you know, amazing benefits. I'll, I'll close by asking you. So, uh, Sonia, you're going to do the 12 hour walk. <laughs> no, my, I got my resistance that I'm working with. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I'll honest. Be, that's I'll totally totally honest. honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I hope that uh, you move past that resistance and, and join us. I think that you will get a lot out of it as a as a fellow racer, high performer, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a powerful exercise. And uh, funny enough, I'll close on this. From the athletic standpoint, there's a lot of really athletic people that aren't intimidated by the physicality of it. There's certainly a ton of people that are like, I could never walk that far. Whatever. That's gonna be like, my feet are gonna get tired. That you know, people common. But people who have done badass stuff like you are like kind of like, yeah, but like the whole day by myself. I don't know if that's your resistance, but it's funny. It's interesting to see the spectrum of the people that are more afraid by the physical or more afraid by the emotional or the time or whatever. People come at it different ways. So I hope you join us. But and with nothing else, so amazing to meet you and be on this podcast with you. It's such an honor to talk with you. Um, I could talk with you more for hours and hours because you clearly have so many interesting insights. And I want to hear your story. So we'll leave it here. But really a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks, Colin. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Colin is a machine and it is so impressive the things that he's done and also inspiring to take new challenges for ourselves and set big goals. So make sure that you pick up his book. I think it's very well written and it is a really great just a, a nudge just to get out there and to try new things. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. We'll see you right back here next week. Bye. Bye.